The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. <laughs> and they all lived happily ever after, right? Uh, I, I, they all lived happily ever after. Is that how you want your story to begin or end? Because most of the movies and the stories we read, they end with, and they all lived happily ever after, as if all of the romance and all of the fun and all of the adventure ends at the happily ever after. I don't know about you, but for me, I'd like my story to begin at the happily ever after. So, you know, you all know the little kid's song, the little taunt. First, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to remember it now. I kind of, it's been a long time. But, uh, you know, it's, it goes something like this. You know, Jay and Margaret sitting in a tree. <laughs> sing it with me. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the baby carriage. And then I think it continues, doesn't it? What's the rest? Something like um, sucking his thumb, wetting his pants, doing the hula hula dance. I don't even get that. It had to have been made up by a kindergartner. Um, but you know, they did get some of the order right. And so, you know, I, I think that every one of us are looking for someone, even the one, that will make our life happily ever after. And we believe that if we find the one, then everything will be magically right. And even little kids make fun of each other when they see them together, and they're kind of taunting, but the reality is there's this deep urge inside of every one of us that kind of wants that story. And the uh, challenge is that we, we get this misconception maybe even myths that we've wrongly believed since we were very little. And so I'm just gonna jump in and kind of give you some of those myths right off the bat. Here's the first myth. When we find the right one, everything will be right. So all you women have to do is find Mr. Right, and then everything will be right. And you guys, you're, if you find the right one, then everything's gonna be magically wonderful. And I guess the opposite is true. If you find the wrong one, then everything's going to be terribly wrong. But we'll keep going. Uh, the, the next myth I think we wrongly uh, believe is that the right one will make me right. And, and so I hear people say this. Like, and, and by the way, so you know, we do marriage counseling as a church. We provide pre-marriage counseling. And you know, I'll ask people, so why do you want to get married? And invariably, someone will say something like, oh, they just make me so happy. You know, they complete me, and I just, like, cringe. <laughs> so now you know, if you ever come to us, and you want us to do your wedding, and we say, why do you want to get married? Don't say, oh, they complete me. All right. Uh, because it's a myth that the right one will make me right. So whatever's wrong in me will be righted if I meet the right one. And then finally, uh, the third myth I, I want to offer you is if we love each other, everything will work out. In essence, I think it's what, the Beatles or whatever, you know, all we need is love. All we need is love. And then everything's going to be great. You know, as if love will take out the trash. 
as if love is going to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and rock the baby back to sleep or nurse him back to sleep. You know, like all we need is love and then everything's going to be great. And if you ask any couple that's been together for any significant period of time, it takes a little bit more than just, you know, the amazing butterfly feelings of love for it to work. And so, you know, what is the challenge that we face? face? Why are these myths such a problem? Well, here, let me just kind of lay it out for you. Here's the reality that every one of us face. We, we wrongly believe that if I meet the right one, I will be right, and it will make everything right, and then love will make everything work great. And so we never work on ourselves. We just spend a lot of time looking for the right one. And uh, so, you know, you know, the challenge is you get a lot of bad advice on relationships. You get a lot of bad advice on dating, on marriage. And so let me just say this. Maybe there's some of you that you are not yet dating or you're dating, but it is not going great. Or maybe it is going great and you just would like a little bit more advice or maybe you're married and you would like to stay married. Well, this sermon series is hopefully for you. And we're going to look, we're going to look at some couples in the Bible. Now, before you just kind of roll your eyes and say, well, what can the Bible offer? I think the Bible gives an incredible portrait of both some amazing couples and some couples who really messed it up. And that's one of the things I love about uh, studying the Bible is that it, it doesn't just paint over all of the mess. And if you're anything like me, things get messy. And so I appreciate the fact that God provided us a sacred writing that shows, shows both the good and the bad. And so in this message, we're jumping in and looking at the very first couple who, let me just set the stage for you, they had everything set up perfectly for their success. I mean, if any couple ever had the perfect setup for their marriage to be amazing, it was Adam and Eve. I mean, they had no past, right? I mean, they were created. They didn't have any exes. They didn't have any past failures. They didn't have any regrets. They didn't have any guilt. I mean, there was no mother-in-law or father. There was nothing. I mean, no reason to have problems in your marriage. And at this point, they didn't even have kids. I mean, if you mess this thing up, you got problems. I'm just saying. And so we're going to jump in. In fact, uh, when you jump into the book of Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible, kind of paints the story of Adam and Eve, uh, we, we, we get a really cool picture of how beautiful it was for them. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. So, I mean, God created them. He gave, he put his image in them. He marked them with himself, and then he blessed them. I mean, how much better can you ask for? And then God said to them, be fruitful. Those of you that are older, you understand that you've had the talk. You know what that means. God's encouraging this. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. Have fun. Enjoy married life. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then it continues. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is important because here's some things I want to make sure you don't miss. God created them. God gave them paradise. In paradise, he provided for every one of their needs. He protected them. He gave them an incredible 
purpose, meaning they didn't get out of, you know, they didn't wake up every day and be like, what are we going to do today? Where are we going to eat? You know, like God was like, here's your mission. Here's your purpose in life. And he gave them a meaningful life. He gave them a life of significance and value. He gave them each other. And then this, this verse I just read, he gave them guilt-free sexuality and intimacy. And they still managed to mess this up. Let's jump in and let's read. So here, here's, the, here's how they mess this up. Uh, God gave them one command, one way to say, like, don't wreck your life. Just don't do this one thing, one rule. And the idea here was that God sets boundaries in our relationships to protect us. And, and so what was the rule? He said, don't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, that, that command makes perfect sense because they already had knowledge of good. So if they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, all they gain is the knowledge of evil. And so God knows this, and so he's protecting them from themselves, and he says, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, Eve is tempted by the serpent embodied, you know, the devil embodied in, in a serpent. And so she's tempted to eat her and Adam, they eat, and then they feel really bad. And things turn really dark. And so now we jump in to the rest of the story, at least for Adam and Eve. But the Lord God called to them, to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Suddenly it was not guilt-free intimacy and guilt-free sexuality and guilt-free vulnerability. It became full of shame and fear. And this, this, Ignoring God's command disrupted and interrupted intimacy and love. He said, I was, I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, that woman you put here with me? <laughs> She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Like immediately, what happens? So, so let me kind of break this down for you real quick and I'll keep reading. The, the first thing that happens, right, is Adam and Eve uh, tempted, they sin. Sin is a biblical term simply to mean that they ignored the command of God. God gave a command that was for their best, something that was reserved, a boundary around it. And, and oftentimes sin is uh, God protecting us for what's best or for what is later. But they ignored God and they did what they wanted. And that's what, sin did. that's what sin did for Adam and Eve and that's what it does in every one of us. Because they sinned, every one of us are born with a sin instinct. To disregard God and do what we want and we eat what we want. We, that's, I'm obviously referencing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil here. But we, we ignore God's commands and what's best for us or what's reserved for later and we do what we want and we do what we want now. Well, the challenge with that is it breaks intimacy with God and it breaks intimacy with each other. It wrecks every relationship and then it creates a blame game. So man is blaming woman. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman was looking around and she's like, that serpent deceived me and I ate. And he's like, that's the problem. And so immediately this whole reality of sin which is a spiritual sabotaging force inside of us, begins to corrupt our hearts, and then it corrupts relationships because it breaks our relationship with God. But not only does sin break relationship, sin brings a curse. 
And so God speaks to Adam and Eve, and he says this. Let me just kind of give you the quick version of it. To the woman, he said, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, immediately when you read this, you go, huh, what? How, what, what is the curse here? Well, the curse is very simple. The woman is going to want relationship with man, but there's going to be some control issues from the very beginning. Sin is going to cause control problems. And uh, there's going to be constantly a battle for, uh, uh, with power struggles, control issues. That's part of the curse of sin. To Adam, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food. And from it, uh, from it all the days of your life. And so what we get out of this is man is cursed with futility and finality. He said, you're going to work hard and you're not going to accomplish anything. You're going to work really hard and you're not going to get nearly as far as you hoped you would get. And then the end of your life is going to be death. And uh, suddenly this horrible curse of sin wrecks Adam and Eve. It wrecks the beauty and the perfection of their intimacy, their vulnerability, their sexuality, every aspect of their life and relationship. It destroys their relationship with God and each other. And there is a key from this very first couple that I want to make sure you don't miss. When you sing that little song, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby and the baby carriage. You, you want to get this right? Let me, let me give you a principle from Adam and Eve, and it's this. Healthy me before healthy we. Hey, I, I worked hard on this one, so I hope you're all excited. We're almost to Valentine's Day, guys. So, healthy me before healthy we. So I'm going to give you a couple thoughts on this. Two, ha two halves don't make a whole. They make a very broken couple. Two incompletes don't complete each other. They destroy each other. Because what you do is you spend your life trying to get someone else to fulfill you, trying to get someone else to fill you, trying to get someone else to complete you, and you suck each other dry until there's nothing left, and then you move on to the next one saying, well, they obviously weren't the right one for me. They didn't complete me. That didn't make me happy. Adam and Eve, they wrongly believed a lie. Satan came along and tempted them. The way life is right now isn't good enough. It would be so much better if you ate that fruit that gave you the knowledge of evil. They believed the poisonous lie that God does not want what's best for you. God does not have your best in mind, and as a result, sin came in and sin corrupted and sin destroyed and sin has been corrupting our hearts, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other ever since. And so if we want to have healthy relationships, it has to start with a healthy me before healthy we. Well, how do you get there? Well, let's jump back into this story. So the Lord God said, so he tells him about the curse Lord God said to the serpent, this is the curse he's going to put on the serpent, on Satan. I will put enmity. I will put um, strife. I will put a battle between you and the woman. Not just that you're going to be scared of snakes, all right? We're talking about a spiritual battle here. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He's saying to Satan, you will slither around and you will strike the heel. 
Not not to destroy, but to infect with venom. But he said, I'm going to give you a promise that someday a child will be born of a woman that will crush the head of Satan even after he strikes his heel. That someday a man will be born that will not be like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve saw the tree of selfishness and self-sabotaging sin, and they ate it. But someday, a man of God would come along and be willing to die on a tree, absorbing the poisonous lie of Satan that we wrongly believe that God does not want what's best for us, that God does not want us to be happy. And so Jesus came to absorb the lie, absorb the poison, absorb all of the venom of Satan, all the bite of sin, all of the bite of death, all of the bite of forever judgment that sin brings. So Jesus on the cross, Satan bites his heel and unleashes the poison and the venom into his body. And Jesus dies. But in his death, he crushes the head of the serpent. He crushes the head of sin and death, and forever judgment, because Jesus not only dies, he rises from the dead, victorious over sin, victorious over death, and forever judgment. So when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven and given new life. Please, before you try to move on and focus on a healthy me before a healthy we, before you try to have healthy love relationships, it only works when first comes love. I don't mean first comes love between you and the person you're romantically attracted to. I mean first comes love by receiving the love of Jesus Christ. That God loved me so much that he gave his one and only son. This love, love horizontally doesn't work until you have the love of God, that comes, you know, love that comes vertically from God. And when we're vertically right with God, then we can horizontally love others. If you would like to receive that love from God, Maybe you've been spending a lot of time working on horizontal relationships and maybe it's not working out so well. Can I challenge you? Say yes to Jesus Christ. If things are not going well in your relationships, you don't need to begin by getting therapy for a relationship. You begin by saying yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The greatest marriage counseling I can offer, the greatest pre-marriage counseling I can offer, the greatest counseling I can offer someone who, who's beginning a dating relationship is start by receiving the love of Jesus Christ. First comes love. If you're making that commitment right now, can you let us know? Text the name Jesus to 81411. One of our pastors will quickly send you a response. You're going to get a link to provide some tools as you begin this new journey of receiving the love of Jesus Christ. And when, when I give you that challenge, here's the, I, I said the best marriage counseling, the best pre-marriage counseling, the best dating counsel I can offer is this. You want a healthy me before a healthy we? Find the one in Jesus. So, you, you know, the myth is that if I find the right one, it will make everything right. If I find the right one, I will be right. Well, I want you to find the one in Jesus. Now, if the one you're looking for is Jesus, then he will make things right, and he will make you right. The only happily ever after you'll ever experience begins and ends 
with Jesus. God, you can, you can Your happily ever after story begins and ends with the person of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus loves, he frees, he forgives, and he fills you with love. He frees you from the shame and the regret, the, the garbage of the past. He forgives you of sin, shame and guilt, and he fills you with his love, his unfailing, always and forever faithful love. And when God's love fills, it spills. Some of you have been around Lifehouse long enough know where I'm going to go with that. But before you go to the spilling, let's make sure we talk about the filling. Let me be very clear. Do not use Jesus as a means to an end. God's love is not a means to an end. What I mean is we don't believe in Jesus by faith so we can have a great marriage. We don't receive God's love so that I can be better at dating. We don't receive God's love so he can make, he can restore what was lost in my romance or my sexuality or in my desire to have intimacy with a partner. No, I recognize that when I believe in Jesus by faith, he fills me with all that I need. He is more than enough. He makes me whole. Now I am a whole and complete person, and I don't need someone else to complete me or make me whole. You will only be whole through faith in Jesus Christ. Please listen to me. Stop asking your spouse to be something it is impossible for them to be. Don't go looking for a one who can never be the one who can satisfy and fulfill you. And please don't let your mind go running in the gutter, okay? Let me be very clear. Jesus is the only one that will ever fill your deepest needs, your greatest longing for true fulfillment and satisfaction in life. Now, when Jesus is your one, and he's the only one you're looking for, he fills you with love, then he does empower you to become the one others are looking for. Do you catch that? He gives you the kind of love that allows you to be loving, so he fills, and then when God, God's love fills, it Spills. And so let me move on to a next key challenge. As I think about the story of Adam and Eve, focus on being the one before finding the one. <sighs> being before finding. You know what? I got to read that one again. Because some of y'all, you're hearing this message and you're kind of not, you're nudging the person next to you because you think it's about changing them. Change you before I do. And if you're already married, how about change you after I do? <laughs> it can work either way. So let me read this again. Focus on being the one before finding the one. Don't go looking to date somebody or marry somebody or even try to keep working on your marriage until you've worked on yourself. Here's the thing. If you've wrongly believed that if you find the right one, then everything will be right and you will be right, then every time it's not right, you can just blame them because they're the wrong one. 
But if you recognize that it's about you being the right one, then we have to look in the mirror at ourselves and say, it might not all, it might be their fault that it didn't work out. It might be their fault that that marriage didn't work out or that you guys' marriage is on the rocks right now or the dating relationship didn't work out. But it might be just a little bit, just a little bit, my fault. Maybe I had just a little part in that. And so I need to focus on being the one before finding the one. So let me give you another challenge. Are you the one or are you becoming the one the one you're looking for is looking for? Okay, some of you are trying to catch up with me. <laughs> How about this? Become the one, the one you're looking for is looking for. You're just busy looking for someone, but you're not focused on being the one they're looking for. So instead of looking for someone, become the one, the one you're looking for is looking for. And if you're married, be the one, the one you look for is worth staying for. Are you the one, are you becoming the one worth staying for? Are you the one, the one you were looking for is still looking for? Become that one. So now it becomes more about me than we. So let's not get to we until we've dealt with me. I need to work on me. Change me, right? Here's the deal. You can't change them anyway. Some of you put so much energy and so much time into trying to change them that you forgot that the only person you can really change is me. And if you spent more time on me than we or they, you'd probably have a lot more success in your relationship. So I'm going to repeat this statement again. Be the one, the one you're looking for is looking for. And so how are you going to do that? I'm going to give you a couple quick statements. Obviously, in a few minutes, I cannot give you all that you need in order to be the one, the one you're, the one you're looking for is looking for. But I can give you a word, love. First comes love. This is why it's so important that your relationship with Jesus is right. Because your story begins and ends with Jesus. He, you don't have a relationship with Jesus to make romance better or make your marriage work or have a great dating relationship. But when you have a right relationship with Jesus, he helps you do life better. Because God is at work in your life to give you what is best. And make sure that you don't settle for something less. So become best so that someone else doesn't have to settle for less. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a chapter about love. It's not entirely focused on marriage and romance. No, it's actually a, a, a chapter about what it looks like to have godly love at work in your life. And it's written to the church in Corinth, a city that's very much like America today. Instant gratification filled with human and sex trafficking, filled with self-indulgence, people only motivated by their own desires who idolize sexuality. And the Apostle Paul writes a letter, and in it, he gives us a portrait of love. And if you want to know what it looks like to have a healthy me before healthy we, to become the person, the person you're looking for is looking for, <laughs> Paul gives you a great statement. Love is patient. Love is not focused on instant gratification. Love isn't focused on pleasing itself now because love chooses later 
rather than knowing later is better than now and getting what I want, right? That's instant gratification. Love is patiently waiting for God's best rather than settling for something less now. Then he says, love is kind. Love is kind. Kindness is a response to weakness. Unkindness is weakness. Kindness is love's response to another's weakness. Here's what kindness does. They see another's weakness and they support them. And they care for them. And they lift them up and they offer healing rather than more hurt. Love is kind. Maybe that's an area that you need to work on in order to have a healthy me before healthy we. Love, it, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love isn't jealous. Love isn't only looking out for itself. Love isn't arrogant. Love isn't putting itself first. It is not proud. And being proud, this is just always thinking about yourself. It's a narcissist. But love, it's not that love thinks less of itself. It just thinks about itself less. Maybe that's an area that you can work on it as you become a healthy me. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Let me, I'm gonna make a statement about this whole, does not dishonor others. Love never becomes another person's regret. Don't you push something. Don't you push someone to do something they would regret. Don't you become someone in someone else's life that they have to lie about. Don't you become someone that they have to go get therapy over. Love never dishonors someone by becoming their regret. Love isn't self-seeking. Love is looking out for the needs of others rather than their own needs. And Paul writes, love is not easily angered. Do I even have to explain it? Love controls its emotions. Love is not abusive, violent. Love doesn't give full vent to its emotion and lash out at someone else in hurtful ways. Love understands that anger is an emotion that must be controlled properly. Love keeps no record of wrongs, which means love is forgiving. Love is quick to forgive. Love is quick to look in the mirror and correct itself while not hanging on to the faults and flaws of others. And finally, love never fails. You want a marriage that lasts? You want a dating relationship that lasts? You want a relationship that can play out the way the little kid's taunt goes? You know, Jay and Margaret sitting in a tree. I don't know why they're sitting in the tree. That's gotta be uncomfortable. <laughs> Jay and Margaret sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby and the baby carriage. If you want a love that never fails, it's gotta be a love that comes from God that fills then spills. First comes love from God. God's love transforms me so that it's a healthy me before a healthy we. Love empowers me to become the person, the person I'm looking for is looking for. Love empowers me to become the kind of person that the person I found wants to stay for. Are you becoming that person? You need love. 
You need Jesus to be the source of your love and the center of your life. For those of you that believe in Jesus, are you truly allowing his love to transform you so that you're a healthy me before a healthy we? I want to pray over you. I don't want to just pray a quick moment prayer. Not that I'm going to pray long. But I want to pray a powerful prayer. A prayer that I would, I would believe that if God would answer it, it would change your life. Jesus, our nation has got love so messed up. What I see all around me is love that's really lust and really selfishness. It's all about meeting my own needs and my own desires, getting all my urges met. But God, the love that I read about and I see demonstrated through the life of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus is a selfless, generous love that is always faithful, is unfailing, is pure, is kind, is compassionate, is not proud or rude, is not easily angered, a love that never fails. So God, would you fill us, those joining us online, those right now that have tears running down their face, those that feel an ache inside of themselves because of broken relationships, maybe a relationship that was just fractured, and those that have all the dreams of the life to come. Lord, would you fill us with your love, an unconditional, godly love. Help us to be healthy me's before there's a healthy we. Help us to become the kind of people that the person we're looking for is looking for. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.